0: Over many years, we've done so many stories on India, beloved listeners, but sadly, many of these stories are becoming more and more difficult to tell in the country itself. Since the Modi government was elected in 2014, India's ranking on the World Press Freedom Index has dropped uh, to 161, out of 180 countries, and the the scope of censorship happening in India extends not only to journalism but also to filmmakers, as my uh, next guest will attest to. Anand Patwadan is an Indian documentary filmmaker whose uh, films explore, well, the rise of religious fundamentalism, sectarianism and casteism in India. Yet others investigate nuclear nationalism and unsustainable development. His work has earned him both festival awards and government bans. The man who charmingly describes himself as a non-serious human being forced by circumstances to make serious films, is here in Sydney for the Atena Documentary Film Festival with his wonderful film, The World Is My Family, and he's joining me here on Gadigal Land in our Sydney studio. Welcome. You spent uh, much of your working life focused on filming the struggles of others, but... uh, this time you turned the lens on your own family. Why was that?
1: Well, actually, I, this film began as a home movie because my parents were getting old and I, I just wanted to keep their memory alive and so I started filming birthdays and anniversaries and stuff like that. But as I started doing, actually interviewing them, I realised that there was a lot of oral history and over time, the film became something that I began to regard as something that could be shown to others uh, because India is right now rewriting its history.
0: Well, in looking at your own family, you trace their own uh, political engagements as, well, as freedom fighters for independence and socialism and for a better India. That's right, yeah. My my family was
1: very involved in the freedom struggle, both sides of the family, my Father's side more so, in the sense that they went to jail against the British. Many of my two of my uncles spent many years. Uh, one spent eleven years in
0: jail over over the whole thirty year period. And I want to talk about your uncles in more detail later because yeah. okay. they yeah. both so extraordinary. Now your your family were brahmins, which meant that uh, in one generation, caste privilege became class privilege that's how, how that's that?
1: right that's i pointed that out because i didn't want to my family my father's side of the family were brahmins but they were poor brahmins they were people they my grand great grandfather and his brother walked for hundreds of miles from where they were because their father couldn't afford to sustain them and they said you'll make your own living so they walked to pune hundreds of miles away Educated, the the reason caste comes into it, but because they were upper caste, they were upwardly mobile despite being poor. They could they could actually educate themselves, and and they rose, they became well off to to the extent that they bought some property, and then the the next generation or even that generation began to fight the British. The next generation uh, used their privilege in a sense. Uh, To actually become part of the freedom movement,
0: your mother is the most extraordinary woman, and people seeing your film will all love her very much. But tell me about her. She was a a very fine potter, apparently. That's right. She she became
1: a she studied in Shantiniketan, which is the school, the the arts university that Rabindranath Tagore founded in Bengal, and so she got a very a, a very broad education, and she wasn't a potter to start with. But later she became a potter, and she she eventually became an expert in glazing, and wrote what is probably nears first uh, pottery a recipe book for other potters to to do their glazes. And she knew Gandhi? And she knew Gandhi because her father was one of the people. He was a businessman, but he supported the freedom movement with money. And and he, you know, he would go to visit Gandhi when he was in jail and my mother would tag along. Uh, and later she met him when he was out of jail. Also, because she was in Shantiniketan, the, the school that Tagore founded, and Tagore and Gandhi were friends. So Gandhi would visit. Shantini Ketan and she met him there a few times as well
0: Now let's bring Pandit Nehru into the story because he stayed at your grandmother's house I want to play a grab of your family talking about him
2: Then I also remember the time that uh, Pandit Nehru had come to uh, Hyderabad uh, for some election and uh, he was of course staying at Maitri at uh, Mituni's Nana's house, then they had to go campaigning, so they got one of these convertibles. Pandit Nehru was waving, and Uncle Partu in his enthusiasm, forgot that Pandit Nehru was, for all his talk about democracy and everything else, he was really a big snob. He put his arm around him like that, the moment he did that, Nehru took his head <laughs>
0: A big snob, I've never heard that before. <laughs> yeah, by the way, that she's
1: not actually related to us. Uh, Anita Gulamali, uh, if you see the film, you'll see she's Muslim. And said They were they were the Muslim friends of my family. So what I was trying to bring out was that in those days, there was no animosity between Hindus and Muslims. They lived together side by side, worked together. And, uh, and so when I went back, I met her. Uh, 60 years uh, later.
0: Now I want you to introduce me to your extraordinary uncles. Ah.
1: So my eldest uncle was Rao Kaka. Uh, Kaka means uncle. And, uh, and he was a Gandhian socialist. Uh, and he, well, he was a trade union activist. But he also was part of the freedom struggle. Uh, and he went to jail many times. Uh, starting with the salt satyagraha, the salt civil disobedience movement, which Gandhi began to defy the British laws on, of salt. So he said everyone should make their own salt. But the moment you did that, you would go to jail. So he went to jail again and again. He would get released and then do it again. So eventually he spent
0: 11 years in jail. Your uncle Rao started a union of uh, sugar workers and was arrested for it.
1: That's right. He was he was arrested. This is a, again these are stories that I didn't know about um, when I was talking and these stories came out. I I knew the broad outline but I didn't, didn't know the details. So this is a story I didn't know. He was he was organizing sugar workers and and he was arrested but in court and this this was a British court obviously. Uh, it was ruled that he could not be arrested for trespass if he was a union organizer. If he was coming to organize the workers, he couldn't—you couldn't call it trespass. So he got released. Um, my other uncle Achut was started out with this nonviolent Gandhian mode of protest, but eventually he became—he was part of the underground movement. He was a socialist. Went underground, especially in, uh, in nineteen forty-two, which was the Quit India movement, and he never got caught.
0: Afterwards. But he he had this wonderful habit of changing his his name every day. He he would had change
1: endless pseudonyms. He would he would be in different disguises. To, he had to do that to to stay underground. Yes, but Gandhi he, he he never, asked him
0: to to give himself up to the police. Why was that? No, because Gandhi,
1: firstly, Gandhi, at that point in time, the, the struggle had reached a stage where they were in negotiations with the British. So he was, Gandhi was saying, now's the time, you should come over ground. And Achutkaka Kaka didn't agree, but he said that if you if you insist, because I'm your follower, I'll do it. But you just ring up the police station and tell them that I'm in your house. Uh, Gandhi said, no, I won't do that. It has to be with your consent. So he never actually surrendered.
0: What uh, What motivated uh, this extraordinary fellow? Uh, I'm not sure because he would... Both my uncles
1: hardly talked about their role in the freedom struggle. And they, when the independence dawned, they didn't stay... They didn't hanker after power. They actually did social work afterwards. They didn't stay in the party. My... Socialist uncle also left the party, and did educational work. And my Gandhian uncle also
0: did uh, educational work. And he was a committed socialist. That's right. He was part of the, so. He was one of the founders of the socialist party. Now, your mother was caught up in the Calcutta riots, and uh, she talks about the moment she accepted a ride from a stranger to
3: escape. I got into his car, but I got a big fright. There were two Sardarajis with open swords standing on the two sides and two Sardajis with open swords sitting at the back. And uh, I was really afraid, but I didn't know what to do. Then I got into the car, at certain stage, the driver started feeling my thigh, touching my thigh, and I was worried. So I looked down. And I didn't know what I had done, whether I had got into a wrong, with the wrong people, what's happening. Then, after two seconds, he suddenly said, I'm sorry, I had to do that to you. Because there were four bodies lying on the tram line without heads. And knowing that if I touch your leg, you look down and not see them, which is true, I did not see them. That's how I did bring up this place.
0: Now, your mother or her experiences uh, prompts you to find out more about the partition. In particular, you discover that the British allowed only wealthy Muslims to vote on partition. I didn't realise that.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. That's well known, it's well documented that the British didn't give the right to vote to all Muslims. when they When they decided that partition had to happen, the British are responsible for a lot of the mess in the world, as you can... I mean, what's happening in Israel, Palestine, this is also the mess that the British created uh, to start with, and India-Pakistan is the same story. And when the British decided to partition India, they they gave the right to vote uh, to Muslims, but not all Muslims. Only not, the wealthy, not because the communists class. would have taken a different view. Be, no, because... the because the, they gave the the right to vote to the Muslims with property and who had education, and that the elite Muslims voted for Pakistan because they were worried that the Congress Party was socialists, that that they they would lose their property, they would lose. So they voted for Pakistan. The working class, uh, large sections of it, were were, uh, were not consulted at all.
0: One of the people you interview points out that there was very little religious discrimination happening in the village.
1: There is less communal tension in the villages because they share the same life. They don't have a feeling that I'm a Hindu and I'm a Muslim. They say, oh, I belong to this place. So that was my uncle. That was not, not the two uncles that we just spoke about. This is a third uncle, who, who my father's younger brother, whom I could, st- he was still alive, and so I interviewed him. And he's describing the, what happens in the countryside. The, the, the communal poison or the sectarian violence is, has often been an urban phenomenon and hasn't permeated, didn't for a long time, permeate into the countryside. But today, that's changing. Today, with the kind of media saturation that the government controls and the the right-wing forces control right now, uh, the countryside is also getting polluted with these ideas.
0: Your mother's family was also separated by partition.
1: Yeah, my mother's family was the one that was separated by partition. She lived in Sindh, uh, which is in Pakistan today. So so they, they were Hindus living in Sindh, and they came to Indian side of the border just before partition.
0: Now you were sent to Sindh, which becomes part of Pakistan, and uh, you, you talked to a friend of your family who described what her father
2: saw. Some of the people who today try to fool other people by telling them they have been millionaires for generations, Those people, I know, is to frighten Hindu neighbors and tell them, you know, you better go because there's a mob coming and they'll take away your things and this, that and the other. And these poor things, they used to, you know, get uh, frightened and just leave everything and go. I tell them to their face. You people have taken furniture from people's houses. Human beings can be most unkind. No animal can be like that.
0: No animal can be like that. That's very moving. Yeah. So and remember, she.
1: This is a Muslim woman speaking about what in her part of the world Muslims did to Hindus. Of course, in the other side, the Hindus were doing that to Muslims. So it was a bloodbath.
0: And then, of course, there was there were absolute outright lies being told because uh, while you were there you talked to school children who believed gandhi was killed by a muslim
1: uh, that's no that's that's not in pakistan that's a that's a school in india that i was showing my documentary an anti nuclear documentary uh, and then we had a discussion afterwards that was filmed so this is this is in india we're speaking about and the school children yeah the school children um, it's not the school children it's basically uh, we were talking about why they the government asked me to cut certain scenes in the fil- in my film and one of the first cuts that they asked for was that i shouldn't say that naturam godse a hindu killed mahatma gandhi because they're trying to
0: rewrite that part of the history they they either not only that they're trying to uh make sure that Muslims are vilified and look as though they're the source of all evil in India. Correct, correct. Um,
1: Except the Muslims whom they co-opt, because, of course, it's a two-pronged approach to everything. So there are some Muslims that they can buy over because, because firstly, uh, life is precarious, so they can either threaten or induce some people,
0: but the majority they demonize let's go back briefly to the other uncles your two uncles after partition that must have broken their heart because surely what they wanted was Hindus and Muslims to live in unity
1: absolutely that's that is what everybody in the freedom struggle wanted everybody barring maybe 0.001% of of all of all the people who went to jail against the british or were killed by the British, there are hardly any Hindu fundamentalists. The Hindu fundamentalists and the Muslim fundamentalists in those days were collaborators with the British. And and it's ironic that today they call themselves, the, the people in power today who come from the same ideology that killed Mahatma Gandhi, now talk about nationalism. They They fly the tricolor, the Indian national flag, when even at independence, they, they were against the tricolor. They wanted the saffron flag, the Hindu flag.
0: Now, just to clarify this, Rao remains a, a Gandhian socialist and uh, worked for um, voluntary land reform. And through his diaries, we see that he was also a follower of Trotsky.
1: No, he wasn't a follower of Trotsky. I I just found his, uh, he was a a very strong Gandhian socialist, believing in nonviolent struggles. But I found in his prison diary in 1930s that he had jotted down lots of, uh, just texts of, from Trotsky, So he was... So they were studying. They were in prison. They were reading books and
0: they were writing down what they read. And your other uncle becomes a philosopher and established many schools. That's right. So as I
1: said, after independence, they didn't want to stay. They saw that politics was a dirty game and, and they got out of party politics and he... Uh, this uncle... Uh, veered towards J. Krishnamurti, a kind of uh, enlightened philosopher who who was starting schools in India and other parts of the world. I wonder what your uncles would make of
0: uh, Modi's India.
1: Not just my uncles, the whole generation. not The whole generation that fought for India's freedom would be horrified uh, at what is going on right now because it's not just the fact that Muslims are demonized and that um, religious ideas are given so much privilege and rationality is not promoted, but also that the new ideology is to welcome Western capital and Western open up uh, India to a rape and pillage kind of capitalism um, uh, let's look at just the environment because all the environmental safeguards that we had are being dismantled so people can go in and destroy the forest. they can go mining anywhere um, as you know and vigilantism is uh, is encouraged vigilantism is no they 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 maintain this deniability so there are some things that they do legally and there are some things that they do through their extra constitutional bodies which where
0: people are not punished for thing when they break the law but i learned from you that in one state if someone is even suspected of wrongdoing their homes are allowed to be bulldozed if they're muslims yes that's
1: that's been happening in in the state of uttar pradesh for instance
0: and uh, Modi has a fact-checking unit with a very odd job.
1: <laughs> no, we, we live in the world of fake news, so there's no such thing as fact-checking because they're, they're inventing some of these
0: facts. You're... 2002 film, War and Peace, that's a title I seem to have heard before, mm-hmm. was banned and you had to take the matter to court. Why was it banned? Well, tell me the whole
1: story. Okay, ban is not exactly accurate because the film... In India, every documentary film has to go through the certification process. Uh, the, the Central Board of Film Certification was meant to... Say this is for adults only. This is for universal for everyone can see it. But actually, they they operate as a censor board. And this is not new. This is before Modi. This is ever since independence that that we were subjected to a kind of censorship. And but I was I was able to fight in in courts and pre in this in the censor process itself against the cuts that were being imposed. And I never allowed any of my films to be actually cut. Uh, but that's, uh, I, and I could go to court as a last resort and I would win in court. Um, I even forced the national TV broadcaster, Doordarshan, to air my films on television on the ground. We, we argued in court that the government has given me a national award for best documentary. I'm talking about the old days, before the BJP was in power. Um, so if my film won a national award, the the television would say, we can't show it. But we went to court saying, how can the government give me a national award and say the public cannot see this film? And so we argued on the right to um, self, my my freedom of expression was being curtailed and the public's right to information was being curtailed. And, and we won seven court cases, including in the Supreme Court. But all this is history because today, it's the courts are extremely nervous to take a stand
0: against what the government wants. I know that you are a distinguished guest at film festivals, Thither and yon, but given the current situation, how is it possible for your films to be seen in India?
1: So, uh, as I said, we've all these years, we've been fighting and getting the right to show the films in public. And some of my older films have that certificate that says you can show them. Nobody can stop you from showing them. But at the same time, that doesn't stop the extra constitutional bodies. So, so in fact, very recently, when I know you, you must be aware that on the 22nd of January, uh, Mr. Modi went to Ayodhya to open the eyes of God. Um, the idol of God was was became a living creature, uh, and I had made a film in nineteen ninety about the first attack on the Babri Mosque. This is a mosque in, in northern India, where uh, uh, which was a sixteenth century mosque, which the Hindu fundamentalists started saying is built after the Mughal Emperor Babur had demolished uh, a Hindu temple to Lord Ram, marking his birthplace. So they said, this is where our God was born. And so we want to demolish this mosque and build a temple in its place. Eventually after, uh, in 1990, they did the first attack, which is when I made the film. In 92, they succeeded. The second attack actually demolished the mosque. And then not too long ago, the courts ratified that this property could go to the Hindus who were demanding it and a temple was built. And so th- that temple is not even completed yet, but, but it was inaugurated. And so this film, Ram Kenaam, In the Name of God, had a youth certificate. It was made in 1991, 92. It got a universal certificate. It got a national award. We've, we got it shown on national TV but today, uh, this the screening of this film has attracted backlash from right wing groups. So, in five places that I know of, and there may be many more, uh, the young people who were trying to show the film got attacked by right wing goons, and the police arrested the people sh- trying to show the film. And did have, not- you, have
0: you ever been subject to that sort of? Uh- Direct abuse, physical abuse? No, I haven't. I have not been
1: attacked personally, but my films are attacked. So we're still,
0: maybe we we haven't reached the worst stage. Are you able to use social media, things like YouTube? I'm able to
1: use social media in a very small way because the censorship is not just the government censorship. Actually, there's complicity with international forces. So even on YouTube and even on Facebook, my posts get drastically reduced. Where I used to get 600,000 people watching a post, now it's come to, if I get 200, it's a big thing. So they've managed to change the algorithms to reduce the reach uh, on Facebook, say. And on YouTube, they put warnings saying, this film is uh, not for... You have to certify that you're an adult before you can see it, and they put a warning saying this got graphic violence, etc. Which my films don't actually have. They don't. They and these films have already cleared the pretty rigorous censor, censor certification process in India. So you have YouTube telling me that this film is not for universal release. You are subject
0: to the most extraordinary And Netflix, precious. for
1: instance. Netflix and the OTT channels have openly told me that if we show you a film, we'll be thrown out of India and it's it's a big market for us. We can't be thrown yeah, out.
0: Heavens above. Now, the story of India was a story of hope, of triumph over colonialism, of becoming the world's largest democracy. What happened? Well, I, I still hope that this is a phase, that this is not
1: the end point of everything. We are, there are forces in India that are fighting back and, um, and you know, I think the diaspora here in Australia and other places are very influenced by the fake news that they hear and they have, a, they have a desire to feel proud of their country. So they want to feel that we have now progressed and we have now become an economic superpower and the world is dealing with us and all of that. But I think eventually they will realize that actually not only is the regime in power bad for minorities, it's actually bad for the majority even. It's bad. It's it, They will destroy Hinduism in the same way that the Zionists will destroy Judaism because they are giving Judaism a bad name by what they're doing in Palestine. In the same way, if the... Indian right-wing forces keep doing what they're doing, they're going to destroy their own religion.
0: Your film, The World Is My Family, points out that uh, it was elites who supported petition. Are the elites the principal supporters of No, Modi? no,
1: no. With, Mo- with Mr. Modi, you can't say that anymore. They, they have manufactured the consent. They have actually, because they control all the media, all the
0: big media. So this is the sort of Trumpian populism that we it, see. It, it's exactly that, yeah. Now, the story you tell of, uh, of partition has uh, awful resonance with current events, as you say, in Israel and Gaza. The World Is My Family was filmed over three decades. What do you reflect upon when you see it now? I'll just make a minor
1: correction. It's not the world is my family. It's the world is family. It's actually a Sanskrit term that says Vasudeva Kutumbakam, which is an ancient term of inclusiveness, which in a sense competes with the other tradition, which is the caste system, which is the hierarchy. So there were com- conflicting ideas even even thousands of years ago. So so this is a weird deriving strength from the secular traditions from the rationalist traditions um, I mean fr- look at the Buddha and look at look at so many different uh, Kabir and so many people who espoused humanism do you have a religious belief um, I'm I'm a rationalist I don't discuss, I don't uh, I, I wouldn't challenge anybody's right to religion Uh and anybody who wants to follow religion is fine. I think religion is not the enemy. It's the political use of religion that's the enemy because it's what we see uh, people who pose as Hindus and then go into attack mode are
0: basically fascists. They're basically, they're not religious. They've weaponized religion. they weaponize religion. Now, you've been making films over such an extraordinary period that uh, you must have a vast archive. What what happens to that?
1: So the, the archives is also a sensitive issue because the archives in some cases are deliberately being uh, destroyed because the things that are not convenient in the past will not be remembered. Um, and And that's why it's important that we keep these things alive i i can't say i've succeeded in, in with my own work uh, the the films that got completed do exist but all my outtakes and all of that especially what i shot in 16 millimeter is is not been kept very well and it's in places which actually need we need to redigitize them and and keep them preserved do you still work on film, or have you gone digital? No, I went digital. I, I stopped making films on celluloid in 1995, and since then I well I, I, but I'm I'm a self-funded filmmaker. I don't raise money from outside. I don't take money from corporate sources, and government, of course, doesn't give money. So uh, so I use the cheapest mediums available. I use high eight and video. Uh, uh, mini-DV a lot, and only the last film that I made was shot on HD, high-definition.
0: I still have not made a film in 4K. Nonetheless, you keep a pace of the times, and, uh, look, it's been a delight and indeed a privilege to talk to you. My guest is Anand Patwadhan, Indian documentary filmmaker extraordinaire, his film is The World is My Family and it's just been screened at the Ten Antenna Documentary Festival here in Sydney. And you can find more information about his films on his website, which we will link to ours. Uh, I
1: just want to say one more thing, which I should have said at the beginning, that I wanted to pay homage to two great Australian Journalists, filmmakers, one who just recently passed away, John Pilger, who is a, know, a hero an of An old mine. friend of mine. Yeah. yeah. And, and the other that nobody talks about much anymore is Wilfred Burchett. Another old friend he, of mine. I'm oh, delighted okay. you Yeah, because I, I've been in email contact with George, his son, uh, who lives in Vietnam, because Australians took away the visa, uh, took away the passport. So they were no longer Australian citizens. It was a terrible story. And I visit George in Vietnam from ah, time okay. to time. So. Okay, so, so that's great. Yeah, so that's, that's a shameful chapter. I'm, I'm glad that Australia has come on board to fight for Julian Assange, another Australian. So, so, yeah, we have to keep fighting
0: on all these in every country. You are a champion for freedom. Thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you.
1: Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.